0: Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to another episode of Selling Greenville. I'm your host, as always, Stan McCune, realtor right here in Greenville, South Carolina. And today we're going to be talking about a concept that is a uh, very buzzwordy concept, but that we need to discuss. It's housing affordability. And there's uh, a lot of discussion, a lot of debate about housing affordability And it's really important that we kind of cut through all of that um, and discuss practically what the housing affordability situation in the upstate of South Carolina is and what to expect moving forward. And we have some uh, local elections coming up that will directly impact housing affordability in our area, and and we need to discuss that as well Uh, so that everyone is fully educated, everyone fully understands What is going on when it comes to this issue? Before we dive right in, as always, a few little housekeeping things. Please go ahead and rate, review, subscribe. Uh, If necessary, download uh, our episodes. We want to make sure as many people as possible are able to hear this. And uh, it really helps me. It really helps the podcast. If, uh, If you give us a rating, if you subscribe, make sure you don't miss any episodes. And, of course, listen to them when they come through. Um, we always, uh, want to make sure that this content is getting out there. And, uh, secondly, as always, my contact information is in the show notes. If you don't already have it, please reach out to me. I would love to talk with you, have coffee with you, um, discuss the topics that we're talking about, discuss your personal, uh, real estate situation. If you or someone that, you know, needs to buy or sell a house, let me know. All right. So housing affordability uh, this is, of course, a topic that a lot of people are talking about right now because they can see in, in a lot of places in the U.S., housing is not getting more affordable. It's getting less affordable. And uh, when we look at the upstate in particular, what do we see when it comes to housing affordability? Is it more or less affordable uh, now versus in the past, or, or what is the trend? Well, there are some statistics that the uh, Greater Greenville Association of Realtors publishes every month. We've gone over some of these numbers before, but but we haven't spent a whole lot of time focusing on housing affordability. But they track the trend over time for how affordable housing in the upstate of South Carolina is. And the numbers are very, very interesting. And, and here's how they're calculating it, okay? The index that they use measures housing affordability for the region of the Upstate of South Carolina, um, by taking looking at the median household income and the median priced home, and they have some type of calculation that determines uh, the percentage of median household income necessary to qualify for a loan for normal financing given current interest rates for a median priced home. So here, here's what here's the example that they give. It says and this is GGAR statistics. Um, it says, for example, an index of 120 means the median household income is 120% of what is necessary to qualify for the median priced home under prevailing interest rates. A higher number means greater affordability. All right, so it's affordable. The, the more affordable the home is, the higher the number is. So in, in the example they give, 120 housing affordability uh, on their index would mean that the median household income is 120% of what is necessary to qualify for a median priced home under prevailing interest rates. So uh, so that's good if, it's, if a number is something like that or higher. What's really bad is once you start getting to be near 100 or if you start going below 100, that's really bad. Because what that means is now the median, uh, if you go below 100, the median household income in in the region is going to be less than what is necessary in order to buy a median priced home. So at that point, housing affordability becomes a major, major issue, right? Once you go below 100. So what is the upstate as of really the past several months, what number has it been at? It's been at 101. We are right on the precipice of falling into uh, the the realm of the median family. And and when we say median, we mean we don't quite mean average. We mean uh, the middle in a sequence of numbers. And the reason why we choose the middle is because if you choose the average, you'll be skewed by the, the homes that are, or the, the households and the homes that are, are way, way uh, more expensive, or the households that are producing way, way more income than the rest of the others. So, median is a little bit of a more accurate metric in a lot of ways um, than uh, taking the average. Now, um, all of that in mind, we are, like I said, about to reach that point where the median family, or you can think of basically the average family in the upstate, will not be able to get financing on the average home in the upstate. And that is going to be a problem. How does that compare to the past? So um, the, uh, they track this index all the way back to 2007, and it has never been this low, okay? Okay. In uh, in 2007, it looks like it reached the lowest point uh, of about looks like about 110 was where uh, the index went down to. I'm just the the numbers aren't very specific; they just show a graph, um, and it has been steadily decreasing really since 2013. We we kind of peaked in 2011 and actually went up to into the 180s. Um, and it kind of peaked around that time, peaked in 2012. Um, and then really since 2013, it's really been on a steady decline. Um, last year, it ended uh, a little bit over 110 from what I can see here. And now we are down to 101, where basically the uh, the median household is barely able to qualify to buy. Uh, the median home in this area. So, here's the thing, right? We celebrate in the Upstate that we really have great appreciation. That great appreciation is driven by the fact that so many people are moving here from out of state, from other parts of the state, and uh, and so home prices have have gone up, which is great for a lot of homeowners. What's not great is that housing affordability has uh, has not risen or, or at least flatlined. So so what that means is that people's incomes are not going up as quickly as the prices of homes are going up. And so there's a cost here to all this appreciation. And the cost h- hits uh, new home buyers the hardest. It hits uh, people that are trying to move out of a rental into um into a house the hardest, there's a lot of things that are impacted by this housing affordability crisis. And it really is a crisis. Like I said, we are we are nearly at the point where it's going to drop below 100. And once it does, that's going to really uh, be difficult for a lot of families to be able to move into a home that they want to move into. And here's what's tricky about this, right? we have people moving into the area from out of the area, and that's what's driving a lot of this appreciation. And so there's a lot of demand for new construction, tons of demand for new construction. I hear people all the time being like, you know, my goodness, all this new construction in Fountain Inn, Lower Simpsonville, uh, you know, the eastern edges of, of Five Forks, um, Reedville, um, you know, up there towards Travelers Rest. I mean, there's all this new construction going up all over the place. Greer, you know, even on the west side of Greer, but also on the east side of Greer, um, all sorts of new construction going up all over the place. And people have differing opinions on this. But the reality of the situation, there's only one way that we can fix housing affordability, and that is with more houses. At the end of the day, that is how you fix the problem. Um, the when you have p- more people coming into the area than you have houses that are available for them, then housing affordability becomes an issue because the houses are getting soaked up so quickly and it drives up the prices. And that's what we're seeing right now. We, we're seeing uh, since COVID, the our inventory levels have have dropped into the two month range, which is insane. That that means in two months roughly speaking, uh, all the houses in our area would be bought up if none came on the market. That is insane. Um, I've never seen that um, in my career. I've never seen that prior to my career either. I mean, um, when people say we live in unprecedented times, that, uh, that means a lot of things in real estate. There are a lot of ways that we're living in unprecedented times from a real estate standpoint. Now, one of the tricky things here when we're talking about housing affordability, again, we have to balance a lot of different things, right? Because we can't just say, well, let's just throw up new houses everywhere because there are a lot of other problems, right? When you put up new houses in an area, new construction in an area, that strains the local infrastructure. And what a lot of people think about is the roads, but it, it strains other things as well. Utilities, uh You know, local governments, a lot of things end up getting strained by new houses going up. And so we have to balance all of those things. And so um, this year, we have a lot of county council elections coming up, some other local elections that are coming up. And you guys need to educate yourself on what the candidates believe when it comes to housing affordability, development, and all of those things. There are some people in our area that they're, a big drumbeat of theirs is housing affordability, but they want the government to be planning everything. They want the government to be controlling everything. And historically in our our area, once the government starts controlling things, then they start doing things backwards. They start implementing zoning and planning uh related laws or they go rogue and they skirt the laws and uh that they put in place or the guidelines that they put in place and it ends up being a big mess they end up making it harder to develop an area and that ends up again making housing affordability worse in general uh we find that developers they want to build more houses um And as long as they're allowed to, they will, and that will help housing affordability. What we need is for uh, our local government to support uh, building up the infrastructure, kind of what we've seen in Five Forks. Five Forks has been kind of a good example of that, where they have done some things to support the infrastructure. That area couldn't support the new construction uh, that we've seen the past 10 years in that area. It, It would not have been able to support that 15 years ago but uh, they did some smart things. They figured out they got ahead of the curve, and that's a really important uh, aspect to all of this. We need new construction, but we need it to be uh, done in concert with the infrastructure improving. So in my area where I live in Greer, there's a lot of angst that um, a local uh, horse farm, an equestrian, little equestrian area, that they're trying to sell off part of the land to a developer and uh it's on a a road that is you know just a uh just a basic one lane on each side i guess you would call that a two lane road it's it's a small road that it doesn't have the most amount of traffic but there are some peak times and uh and and the roads you know if you add 300 more units in there or however many they're projecting to put in there. Um, it's going to put more strain, more potholes, more issues with, with the roads there. Um, you run into an issue of at some point the public schools get maxed out. So if you're in a very desirable school district, you might find yourself redistricted. And uh, that could be a major, major problem that can impact your home value negatively. Um, so there is a fine line in a uh, major divide between how to address these things and we need people in office we need people uh, representing us that understand this and that are willing to toe the line to make development something that is uh easy and flexible while also understanding that there needs to be things that the government is doing alongside developers in order to make sure that areas don't get completely overwhelmed with new development. An example uh, that I ran into recently where again, you you know, just poor, in my opinion, poor uh, government is I have a client that did a full renovation on a house, completely renovated the house um, in the Parkins Mill area of Greenville. So a nice area and they put in a driveway that was conforming to the street. It was a a normal size driveway. It was a small two car driveway. So you could fit two cars on it, but it wasn't too big. There are a lot of other driveways on the street that had similar uh, a lot of other houses on the street that had similar driveways. And so it wasn't like it was something that stood out like a sore thumb or, or anything like that. Um, and uh, we actually, we got the house under contract. We listed it under contract right away. And after we got it under contract, mind you, this house, you know, had been permitted for the work that they had done and everything, the, the you know, the city, it was in city limits. They had signed off on everything. Someone comes around from the city and determines that the driveway was too wide and says that they recently changed an ordinance that used to apply only to new construction, but now it applies also to not just new construction, but fully renovated homes, okay, however you define that. I'm sure they have a, a definition, um, but I'm also sure that they don't follow that definition all the time. Fully renovated homes in that area now require not a 15-foot-wide driveway like we had uh, there, but it could not exceed 10 feet, 10 feet wide, Um well, you go from 15 feet wide to 10 feet wide, and now you're talking about a single car driveway. Uh, well, that's a big difference. Fitting two cars in a driveway versus only fitting one makes a big difference. And guess what? Now our buyer that we had on the house, they didn't want to buy the house. And my client you know, graciously let them go because it wasn't their fault that the city came in and did that. But guess what the, the ramifications of that are going to be? Um, we've got that home under contract again um with the smaller driveway we had to they had to cut down the driveway um what are the ramifications going to be this is a narrow street in the Parkins mill area there's going to be more cars parked on the street now there already are cars being parked on the street and it's a narrow street guess what these whoever lives there they're gonna have at least one car and if they ever have a second car or if they have visitors over those cars are being going to be parked on the street and now that street is going to be more cluttered than ever just because of a simple uh zoning ordinance that the city put into place that's really doesn't impact anything except cosmetics. It literally only impacts the cosmetics of the street, the way the street looks. And already that driveway was conforming to other driveways on the street. So it wasn't like it was something different than all the other houses in the area. This is the type of thing that is why a lot of us are skeptical about the government getting more power to do things in zoning and planning Because they tend to not uh, make logical decisions and they tend to not even play by the rules that they want to play by. And so we have to be careful as the elections are coming up. um, We want people that are uh, in in our councils that don't want to overdo all these zoning and planning and ordinances that don't want to try to use government to fix everything because Our government is pretty efficient around here, but even with our local government being efficient, it still has problems. There are still problems. When you get other people um, telling residents what they can do with their homes, they tend to be overly restrictive. When you give people more or less unchecked power, they tend to use that power in ways that oftentimes can be unbeneficial. And at the end of the day, we need more houses we need infrastructure that supports those houses and we need to try to get this housing affordability to uh to change gears and and you know last time around it the housing affordability improved only when the economy got worse well that's not what we want either we want for as the economy continues to hopefully improve, we want housing affordability to at least turn the corner, right? For at least the trend to go back up a little bit. And right now, in the absence of people making a whole lot more money than they currently make right now, in the absence of that, the only way that we can improve housing affordability is if we build more houses. Um, And so that is the task at hand. That is... A big thing. Honestly, this is going to impact people in our area in a lot of ways, a lot more than the presidential election will. So, do some research on the local elections. I have interviewed uh, a lot of the candidates, so I'd be happy to share my thoughts. I might be able, I might have interviewed your candidate uh, in whatever district you are in. If you live in Greenville, um, I've interviewed several county council. Uh, people that are running uh, for for the council this year. And uh, I'd be happy to, to share that knowledge with you privately from what I gleaned from that I'm on the realtor political action committee. Um, and that's one of the things that we do we support as realtors, we support uh, some candidates over others try to make sure that we get people that understand the, the delicate balances here between housing affordability between development and infrastructure and all of these things. Um, And so at the end of the day, the more everyone is educated about this, the better our area will be. That's it. Short one today. If you guys have any questions, please feel free to reach out. And until next time, stay safe and let's buy some houses.